yeah. I mean, it was it was a struggle for 20 years. I'd say probably a very severe, intense addiction that controlled my life for seven or eight of those years. Wow. And I think you might have mentioned it, but did you develop other addictions as a result of having a porn addiction? Yeah. Um, and this is where I think that there's a genetic component to some of some of our behavior. Um, so growing up, you know, I, I had a, a pretty much a front seat to a lot of a lot of men struggling. Oh, good morning. It's a Monday morning and I have a really awesome guest today. So today I've got Frank Rich, who's a former bodybuilder entrepreneur. He's a men's health coach and the host of a podcast himself. So the Superhuman Life Podcast is what it's called. Now, no stranger to battling addiction, depression and anxiety for almost 20 years. Frank is now on a mission to help men who are suffering from the same issues and take back control of their lives through the power of faith and fitness. Frank has helped thousands of men transform their physique through his online coaching platform where he provides content, programs and services to men looking to build more muscle, drop body fat and build their greatest bodies. He's also the founder and the CEO of Rebuilt Recovery, which is a company based on a growth-centric holistic approach to addiction recovery. Rebuilt Recovery provides fitness training for men going through recovery as well as one-to-one coaching for men aiming to break free from porn addiction. I'm delighted to introduce Frank as today's guest on the show. He'll be discussing everything related to porn addictions, including the reasons behind its occurrence, the impact it has on relationships, and the way to overcome it. So Frank, welcome to the show. Amanda, it's an honor to be here. Thank you. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about yourself, like just kind of what brought you to this space? Yeah, um, ab- absolutely. I mean, I guess just kind of adding on what uh, what you shared in the in the bio there, I guess when you say this space, you're specifically speaking to the work that we've been doing for the last couple of years, helping men mm-hmm. overcome pornography addiction. So mm. that, that that Genesis story started, I mean ultimately with my own journey, right? You know, I always say it's not like I, you know, I was sitting in, you know, career day, uh, you know, back 20 years ago when I was graduating, aspiring to be a porn addiction recovery coach. Much of what I do and talk about and kind of the mission is rooted in my own journey uh, of, of, of struggles first, overcoming that, getting on the other side of it, and ultimately having a heart uh, to want to help others. So, in- yeah. February of 2019, uh, I finally found the freedom from a 20 plus year porn addiction. And the following months, as I began to heal, uh, my brain rebooted, I I really began to see the world a whole lot differently. As somebody had always been a fan of podcasting and had aspired to want to start one, I kind of felt the call that this was my opportunity to maybe share some of the things that I was going through. So that was the original story behind launching the podcast, The Superman Life, uh, which our first episode aired on July 8th of 2019. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was really to put my journey, but also share other people's stories because as I was going through my recovery, I realized like this was a subject that not a lot of people were discussing. Uh, yeah. there, were, there weren't great resources. There weren't great tools being brought to to the forefront. So if I could leverage, A, my own background experiences in any platform that I had available to myself, uh, I thought it would be a, a good service that I could do for others. Uh, yeah. Podcasts had some some really great 
uh, traction right out of the gate. Um, mm-hmm. Apple recognized us, picked us up. They put us on their front page, new and noteworthy. So That's that right. got us a, little, a, a lot of early exposure and traction. Um, and what was really cool, because you mentioned I, I, I run Frank Rich Fitness, which was a company I started in late 2017. So I'd had a, you know, at that point, three years into somewhat of a social media presence already established. Um, but what was cool after launching the podcast is a lot of the messaging and what I was hearing from men shifted from Frank, thank you for your muscle building information. You know, you're helping us get healthier, fit, jack strong, all great stuff, right? Like I'm not discrediting anybody, uh, or any of that work. Like I thought it was incredible, but as the podcast started to grow and the conversations we were having, were more focused around the addiction, the recovery, the trauma, the healing, like mm. more subjects that you don't hear generally, maybe what would be identified as masculine men talk about. Uh, what what I was receiving back was really first like a thank you. Like Frank, thank you for just addressing these conversations. Thank you for willing to go to places that so many people aren't willing to go. This was 2019. Obviously, I think the space has really evolved over the last four years, and it's been really cool to witness that. But that was at least the response early on. And, and, and obviously, that's my following as well. So my, my following that knew me from the muscle building space when we started transition, what we were talking about, it was wildly accepted. Mm. So about six months into the podcast, as those messages were growing, the inquiries for help began to come in. You know, obviously being positioned as a coach online, um, I don't really identify as an influencer, but somebody that was putting out valuable information to help people transform. I think people saw it as a uh, like or saw me as an outlet for help. So mm, after mm. we started receiving the recognition f- just for the conversation, the next series of questioning or or messaging was, Frank, can you help? Can you help us? Um, and I didn't at the time, you know, I had had a background in corporate entrepreneurship, leadership development, sales, training, fitness, like all the things that you listed off mm. there at the beginning. Not a real lot of experience in in the addiction space. Um, but I took a look at what was out there for guys. Um, you know, I leveraged my own network and I looked at some great tools for my own recovery, but I didn't really join coaching programs or anything to help me get free. So when I looked at what was available, I'm like, there's really a gap in, in this space. So January of, 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 of 2020, I kind of took a leap of faith and, uh, that was the, the origin of rebuild recovery And here in the last, you know, three plus years, my primary focus, in addition to some of the training, some of the, the business coaching that I've done, you know, I'd say about 80% of my time and focus has been on building up rebuilt recovery, which, you know, our mission now has slightly evolved to help men become better men by mm. quitting porn first and rebuilding their lives. So, you know, I like to say that there, there, there may be elements of life coaching sprinkled into what we do, but we specifically focus and hone in on the men that are struggling with the compulsive and addictive behavior with, with porn and masturbation. So that was a long, kind of long-winded roundabout answer, but hopefully that kind of gives people some context. Educational nonetheless. Um, why do men become addicted to porn? Welcome to this short ad break. Not sure if you're aware, but I'm a personal trainer and have been for years now. So if you like the idea of training and being educated on how to eat for better health, then maybe it's time to hire me as your personal coach. 
you can start feeling confident, self-assured and healthy again, so you can attract the best kinds of lovers and friendships into your life today. You can apply for online or face-to-face coaching with me, where I will take you through a hybrid fitness system that covers the three pillars to success, where I take you through the deep work of mindset principles and help you achieve breakthroughs, guide you to understand meal preparation for your goals and customize your weight training program to help you build a healthy physique that you can be proud of. Find the application link in the show notes of this episode. Back to the show. And I guess what what constitutes an actual addiction versus someone who just wants to get off and release some tension? Yeah, yeah, that's 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 a great question there, and I'll I'll answer that one first because I think the 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 first question, um, there's layers to it. Are mm. we speaking specifically about the individual? Or are we speaking about men, the category? But to answer the question, like, what is a porn addiction? Um, I always want to default to experts. You know, I, mm. I I I can maybe identify as an expert in the coaching space. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm an expert in addiction. Research. Uh, I had the opportunity, though, to interview Dr. Caroline Leaf, uh, who oversees Stanford's addiction department. So she's the head of the addiction department at Stanford, a researcher, a clinical psychologist, or psychiatrist, and also is the author of Dopamine Nation. So her work has really been at the forefront of not just addiction, but specifically sex and pornography addiction for probably Mm -hmm. the last two decades. I mean, a real world-renowned expert in the field. When I had her on the show, I wanted to get her answer. So here's a person that is obviously educating at the highest level, Mm -hmm. doing the research. You hear the pushback all the time, porn addiction. There's no such thing of it. It's just kind of this made-up category. It's probably where some of your your question is stemming from. So I wanted to get it from her. So I said, Anna, what what do you define as an addiction. Her very clear and precise addiction is it's the continued or repeated use of substance and or behavior despite negative consequences to yourself and or others. Mm. So if we're speaking about the terms of what is a pornography addiction, a pornography addiction would be the continued or repeated use of that behavior, the consumption of pornography, despite the negative consequences that is showing up within your life. And I think that's where it's like, that's going to get to the individual, right? Mm. It's in that, what is deemed a negative consequence? Well, if you're struggling with intimacy with your wife, would you identify that as a negative consequence? Many would. So if we could point to the pornography addiction as maybe some of the reason as to why you're struggling, or we could, if we could point to your use of pornography, because we clearly know that it puts people as objects, it changes how you see people, it places them uh, you know, not as human beings. So if we could point as use of pornography as a reason as to why you have lack of intimacy in your relationship, that could, in my opinion, be a porn addiction. But there's the, there's the gray area, right? It's the negative consequences. So continue to repeated use of substance and or behavior despite negative consequences of self and or others. Hmm. Your first question, why do men get addicted is a tough one to answer because like I said, there's, I think there's layers to it. Are we speaking about the individual man or are we speaking about men in general? I think men Mm. in general, I think we're seeing the numbers and the problems in society around pornography addiction that we have today due to lack of education, Mm. lack of understanding about actually what is going on in, in the internet with pornography. Uh, Gary Wilson, who's the author of Your Brain on Porn, uh, he passed away about 18 months ago, but he was a real 
pioneer, like bringing awareness to the dangers of porn on the brain, has a great uh, YouTube video called The Great Porn Experiments. Mm. And there's a, there's a book that just came out this past week by an organization called Exodus Cry that does a lot of documentary filmmaking, uh, showcasing and highlighting a lot of the issues around porn, the whole sexual exploitation industry. The book is called Raised on Porn. And once again, it's shining a light on what many would say is the first generation. Generation Z, I believe, would be the one that are just now kind of entering into adulthood. The first generation of people that grew up in the internet. So when I get the opportunity, Amanda, and, and, and I'm glad we can kind of, kind of get here now to talk about pornography addiction, I specifically speak about the issues around the internet. Yeah. And I think it's a clear distinction around internet streaming pornography, versus even my introduction. So I'll be 40 here in August. When I first saw porn, it was a magazine. You know, I was six, seven years old. The internet didn't, didn't exist. Yep. I think what we have available here today, the accessibility behind the internet, uh, the fact that 30% of all information and data on the internet is pornographic, the fact that mm. most every site has zero age verification, and the fact that the average age of first exposure is between eight and 10 years old, I think the internet pornography is shaping a lot of young people's minds, hearts, views of intimacy, views of sex. So I think that's a big reason as to why younger men are dealing with it is mm. it's just become a part of our normal world. I'm sure there's people listening to this right now that are going to, the minute they heard the topic of the conversation, be like, oh yeah, every guy watches porn. It's almost such like a, like just an, a widely accepted thing. Yeah. Yeah. Now, go ahead. No, I was just to um, caveat that like with OnlyFans being so commercialized now, and, you know, it's it's accessible in a lot of people's, a lot of influencers' bios and what have you. And, you know, it's very much commercialising pornography and making it widely accessible. Uh, not everyone might be aware that Pornhub is a thing, but OnlyFans seems to be becoming the new Walmart of pornography. Everyone's doing it. It's, you know, um, the average person can become a, an OnlyFans star if they want to. You don't necessarily need to be a, a porn star. or So I guess it's um, the biggest thing around that now is, you know, if we look at social media as a, as a dopamine reward, how does pornography hijack the do dopamine reward system? Yeah, yeah. Um... Great, great question. And you're, you're kind of speaking on two different things here. So we can speak to the, the dopamine reward system first, but I want to touch on OnlyFans. I'm glad you kind of brought that up mm. here as well, because I do see that as a completely different animal. Um, and I think it's going to lead a lot of people into some really dangerous places. Mm. Um, so I had, I, I, once again, I always want to point to like where some of my information comes from, just so people know that like I'm not just making this stuff up. So mm. I've had a lot of great uh, doctors on the on on the podcast. I had one who's a 25 year professor uh, and has a massive uh, YouTube following of over 150 thousand plus subscribers, where she talks about porn addiction. Dr. Trish Lee, um, her language when I initially spoke with her back in early 2020 was my first conversation I had with her is okay. internet streaming pornography is defined in the neuroscience space as the super normal stimulus. 
Uh, there was great research done out of Stanford in the late 70s, early 80s by a group of doctors studying what a supernormal stimulus is. So they did a study on butterflies. Uh, what they did is they created a replica of a natural uh, meeting uh, meeting environment mating environments for butterflies so mm. butterfly male attraction to female is dictated by the color vibrancy or the vibrancy of the colors on their wings and mm. the size of their eyes those are like two big kind of mating signs like like the the, the more vibrant brighter the colors mm. more attractive that a male butterfly is going to be to the female so these scientists created this environment replicating what it would be like in the natural uh, world for butterflies, but when, then what they did instead of putting real butterflies, or at first they had real butterflies in there, then they followed it up and they started to implant fake artificial butterflies mm. that had brighter colors, more vibrancy to their wings and bigger eyes. What they noticed wow. over time is the male butterflies slowly became more attracted to the fake ones. And it got to the point after a series of days or weeks, I don't know the length of the study, that they were no longer go to the real butterflies and try to mate. They were solely attracted to the artificial ones, this super normal stimulus because neuroscience, what fires together, wires together. So over time, if you're seeking out high stimulating video images, like an infinite amount of supply, and you're training and conditioning yourself that that is where you go seek pleasure and reward, that becomes your default pathway to pleasure and reward. Yeah. And dopamine works on a cycle. So it's a pain pleasure cycle. So anytime you get massive hits of the pleasure, which would be the dopamine, it's going to be followed by pain because in order for it to return back to baseline, if it peaks and elevates, it must dip down to the equivalent before it can return back to baseline. Where if you're constantly pulling the lever at the highest degree, which is pornography, 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 spike after spike after spike, you're creating yeah. this loop, this cycle where it's pleasure and then a massive hit uh, or a massive fall in pain. Now, what is pain when it, when we're talking about dopamine? Pain is going to be lack of motivation. Pain is going to be negative emotion. It's going to be feelings of hopelessness, feelings of unworthiness. Like these are the pains that are associated with it. So what it does to a to a man's brain is the only place he can go to feel good is by going out and seeking more pornography, but then because it's a, because it operates on this cycle, the yeah. minute he's done within a 24-hour window, now he's got these feelings of of hopelessness. So mm. that's at like kind of the highest level how it's how it's hijacking. But you're talking about the OnlyFans and I think that it's something that's very alarming because of what you said. You know, the fact that it is so recognizable. I mean, just in this past week at the gym, I've seen only gains, only calves, and only swole as like a two-word saying, basically hijacking the branding of only fans. Yeah. And it's clever marketing, right? From from mm. the sh the t-shirt designers. You've seen it with uh, Pornhub as well. There's there's companies that have hijacked the black and yellow label. You don't see yep. it as often as as the only fans. Mm. But what is that saying? Like that a modern everyday company would hijack this 
branding look and color Mm. because it's clearly recognizable, right? It's like you're saying, it's kind of become the Walmart. Now, the problem that I see with OnlyFans is it pulls on another lever. So we know that pornography is pulling, obviously, on a dopamine lever, right? You're going there to get some type of sexual reward. Maybe there's going to be some feel-good emotion. When you enter it or when you add in the layer of OnlyFans, now you have this back-and-forth communication, you're pulling on a, a relationship, lever there as well. Many of these men are, 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 are feeling like there's actual relationship uh, that's being fabricated with this woman. And in reality, we know that's not the case. So if I can sit behind my screen, if I can fulfill my sexual needs with pornography, or I can go get my sexual and my intimacy needs met because mm. we all need relationships with other people. It's a part of like our human nature. But if I can get that fulfilled behind the screen, I'm going to feel like my needs are ultimately getting met. But once again, we're operating on this cycle, right? So it's going to short-term make us feel good, and mm-hmm. then we're going to be lost in a, in, a, in, a, in a darkness pit cloud of hopelessness. So mm. yeah, something, something really big there that I think people need to understand is what that's doing to the relationship side of things. Absolutely. Yeah, the relationship. Um, obviously, the superficial versus the real thing. And I guess like all addictions, a lot of addictions are derived from some form of trauma and almost like a numbing process. Would you agree that porn addictions kind of are predicated on the same basis? Some form of childhood trauma perhaps? Um, is it a form yeah. of intimacy for them? You know, I, I, I do agree with the statement that it's, that it's, that it's an escape uh, and oftentimes it's a mechanism for numbing. I have a hard time... Um, and this has just been my experience of, you know, having as many conversations as I had in the last three and a half years of pointing to it being something associated with trauma. Mm. Um, maybe sometimes, yeah, but even the trauma conversation, like this is Amanda, this is something I've talked about quite a bit. I see trauma uh, in and of itself as a crutch for a lot of people. Um, I think I think we've all had trauma. I think if mm. you're if you're if you're a living human adult, you've had trauma in 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 your life. Now I'm not discrediting like there have been some horrible things that have happened to some people, and I understand yeah. that I can like clearly shape your view of reality, um, and that needs some incredible healing. I think though uh, the current media, the current landscape of social media, has mm. created an environment where it's very easy and comfortable to be a victim of your own trauma, mm-hmm. and a lot of people find comfort in that. Um, and you can even you could even kind of point to some of the science how it it's pulling out a lot of the same dopamine uh, mechanisms as it is when we go to seek this pleasure. So if I could go on the internet and talk about all the bad things that happened in my past, or if I could create this story about why I am the way that I am based upon the bad things that happened in my past, then people will pat me on the back and say, it's going to be okay. Mm. You're going to be okay. Whatever happened to you should have never happened. You're going to get past this. And it almost becomes this like warming kind of numbing thing where it's like, yeah, We've all had bad shit happen to us. Like mm-hmm. it's a kind of a part of what the human life is: is overcoming your sufferings, breaking through, growing into your potential, and then going out and utilizing some of those stories to actually help other people that are going through the same shit that you are. So, no, I don't believe a lot of men are, are addicted to pornography due to childhood trauma. Mm, okay, cool. That's a great perspective. It's um. Because I have had a conversation with another uh, another fellow, another psychologist about it, and we sort of we dived into that. 
Um, and a, a also very interesting perspective on it all. And um, there was a lot of sense made of it as well. So um, it's good to sort of get both perspectives. And I guess what I like about yours is that the difference, I guess, between psychologists and coaches is that coaches can really help you move forward a lot quicker. I think a lot mm-hmm. of people can see psychologists for years Yep. And it's almost as though they're kind of dwindling on the same topics for years to come and not to discredit psychologists. Um, they have their place, but I find coaches can help you move forward quickly with, with issues in life. And I speak yeah. purely from experience, having dealt with psychologists, psychiatrists, and then coaches who really kind of look at your life and go, right, let's change the story. Let's change the narrative. And then that way we can really snap out of this a lot sooner than if we were to kind yes. of just dwell on the past type God, thing, no. dwelling. Yeah, yeah. 100%. I, I mean, I, I literally, Amanda, had a post this afternoon, uh, like a 40-second reel, speaking to that exact point that you just made. Mm. I see a lot of value in people getting therapy. Like, I've mm. tremendous healing for, for me. But it is looking through the lens through a very specific box. I wouldn't be shocked that you had a psychologist on and Mm. the frame of reference that he sees the world through is people's past dictate and shapes why they are like the current reality. Like that's that that that's the that's the worldview of a psychologist. So, yeah, he's obviously going to point to trauma being the reason behind it. Me, I I see the world through a completely different box, though. Like you said, I am a coach at heart. So, yeah, there may have been some things that happened to you in the past. But how do we rewrite that? Who mm. actually do you need to become today to not allow that past situation to dictate how you move forward into the future? And it's just a frame of reference. It's 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 a perspective on how you kind of look at the world in 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 reality. Both mm. good, neither one right or wrong. Mm. Actually, in my opinion, the perfect recipe is a pairing and combination of the two. Like, let's get to why we are where we are today. Like what's shaped us, what past experiences, what things are maybe we suppressing. Let's spend some time there. But then in the introduction, like when you talked about rebuilt recovery, growth centric, holistic approach, Mm. pornography, in my opinion is, or I'm sorry, addiction. Oftentimes, if it's not associated with trauma, maybe, and, and, and this is outside of alcohol, I think alcohol is a completely different type of addiction, but a behavioral addiction, in my opinion, mm. most times is due to lack of, lack mm. of within certain belief system, character traits, abilities uh, within you. So if it lack of, that means it's something you can grow and become into. So our entire approach is on, okay, where are we lacking? What are some of the triggers, right? What's causing you to want to escape your life? Because you, you even said it, like pornography addiction, most addiction in in general is escapism. There's something that is going on in our current reality that we've created or the perception at what we are even seeing the reality. Sometimes it's just a framing of how you look at the world mm. and solve a lot of people's problems. But there, but if we're escaping from our reality, that means that there's something that we've done that's created that. And oftentimes it's the byproduct of who we are. So if we change who we are, if we change our identity, if we grow through self-development, health, fitness, resetting our gut, I mean, there's a lot of different ways that you can go to grow and mm. become a little bit better, but that's, that's the frame. And that's how I look at a lot of these things. And, I, and, and, and that was why I, I started what I did because I, I didn't see anybody else really talking about it from this angle. Yeah, there's not a lot of conversation online about porn addiction. It is quite a rare thing. And I guess I'm 
pretty um, pretty flattered that I've had not one but now two guest speakers on the podcast to talk about it and to understand it more. You know, we don't just I don't just want to bring uh, female guests on the show. There are I do have a small percentage of male listeners, so this you know this is very relative to them because the. I guess we kind of, when we think of porn, we think of a lot of men users, right? And there mm-hmm. probably are some female users out there, but um, men just, I guess, have different needs in that space. And then it becomes, well, what what sort of constitutes too much use versus tapping into one's emotions to really have some of those real relationships? Now, obviously, being in the health and fitness space, you know, you're all about nutrition and eating well. Would you say that the food and nutrition can also play a key role in the recovery side of things of addiction? Why is that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and we know enough now through through research um, the tie between the gut brain access and you know it's been said you know many times that the the gut is the second brain and a lot of uh, people will now argue that the gut is the first brain. Uh, so 80% of dopamine is initiated from within the gut. And it's somewhere between like 40 to 60% of serotonin um, is initiated within the gut. Um, so if you have a healthy or an unhealthy gut, an unhealthy gut lining, that's going to dictate how healthy your, your mind is going to be and the ability to actually produce some of these healthy neurotransmitters. So if we look at recovery of pornography addiction as a rebooting of our mind or of our brain, right? Rebooting is pulling on a different uh, dopamine reward pathway, right? So we need to Mm. kind of reset where we're getting some of this pleasure from. Well, if our gut is unhealthy and can't produce healthy amounts of dopamine, we're not going to be able to pull the proper levers in our life to give us the dopamine that we want. So I think it's fundamentally necessary uh, to have a healthy gut first, um, so that would be just the kind of nutrition. Now, the training aspect and component, that's that's delving into um, discipline, self-care, um, just overall kind of control of, of your body. Uh, but yeah, I think it's probably one of the most important things that is the least discussed uh, is mm. the role that um, health and nutrition play in a porn addiction recovery. Developing almost an addiction in another area, but in a po- positive sense. So mm-hmm. a discipline as opposed to an addiction. Um, and that's what a lot of healthy eating is generally predicated on, isn't it? It's just developing yeah. new, new healthy habits. So Yeah. And I, I think say, also, yeah. you know, um, food addiction, once again, l- leaning into the definition that Dr. Anna Lemke shared. So the continued or reputed use of substance and or behavior despite negative consequences. Mm. Under that context and frame of addiction, you could probably argue that food addiction, the number one addiction in the world. How many people mm. struggle with kind of compulsive eating, compulsive snacking, yeah. and it's limiting them. So the negative effects are they don't, they're not at the weight, they're not at the body fat percentage, they struggle with energy, uh, they struggle with late nights, insomnia, whatever. These are negative consequences due to their food addiction. Well, that is a like that's an issue in kind of like lacking self-control and self-regulation. Like you can't keep your hand out of the bag of the potato chips. Like in my opinion, that's nothing more than just kind of lack of sheer self-control. Mm. Um, so if you could gain some, some discipline there, uh, I think that trait now that you own of self-control can now be redirected to help you in some of the other compulsive areas of your life. Mm. So yeah, yeah, I actually think like if you have compulsive eating issues, Solve those first, because uh, that's going to be a lot quicker and easier to do 
then the pornography and I think the pathway to learning how to control your compulsive eating will give you what you need to control the other compulsive behaviors. Yeah, absolutely. And I think exercise as a a framework and an umbrella um, Mm -hmm. really does help to tie all these things in nicely and it does really impact all these other areas so much more positively because if we get discipline in that area there, you know, it's sort of like starts with training. Then when you train, the body starts to reject the the bad foods or not bad foods. There's no bad food. It's just everything in moderation. Too much yeah. of anything is not necessarily a great thing because if you're only eating just all healthy, clean eating all the time, you know, sometimes it, people might drop too much body fat, for example. So there's got to yep. be some allowances. It's just about finding balance. But I think exercise in general does set a standard of discipline, which then again, you know, goes to your food and then it goes to your choices in other areas of life, such as, well, do I really need porn in my life? So Yeah. Well that word standard is 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 so is so big there. Um yeah. you know, one one thing that I've been talking about uh these last couple of weeks is the standard that we like hold ourselves too. You know, man, I'll hear from guys every day that reach out, you know, Instagram, like Frank, I can't control my, you know, porn and masturbation. And I'll look at their profile and it's like, here's this grown man that is overweight, unkept, ungroomed, disheveled looking, Mm. like his, his clothes are baggy. Like they don't fit. They're wrinkled. He doesn't look like he's had a shower in three days. Mm. Like, these are all little like this this may sound extreme but I'm telling you like these are the men that I that I hear from and it's like right. come on brother like if I was you I wouldn't I wouldn't care enough about myself either to want to overcome this addiction because yep. look at you like you like your your self-worth and self-value is so low that like you don't take your your photos I can even tell are taken with the dirty camera lens like and it's just a lot of these guys are just at the point where it's like just so like low of self-worth and I think mm. a healthy fitness routine that doesn't become the addiction because I have seen the ones that have become the addiction I've spent you know 20 years in the fitness space but just a healthy self-care regimen of yep. eating clean going to the gym getting some walks in grooming your beard like little things are like acts of self-care and self-love then when you look at yourself in the mirror you're like dude you actually love yourself bro like now let's go stop doing this behavior that is clearly holding you back but if you don't value yourself enough to like do the little things to just be who you can be why would you care enough about yourself to overcome this massive issue that you feel is controlling your life. So mm. yeah, just another, another thing with the standard at which we hold ourselves to. Yeah. 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 I love that. I love, I love, uh, it's great that you actually pointed out. Uh, Cause I didn't think to actually ask what kind of men do you actually deal with? Is there a particular kind of man? And you've pretty much just made it really clear. These are guys that are unkept. They're not looking after themselves and it seems that, well, hey, that's probably not a really hard thing to fix. If It's not as if they're wealthy and their hair's nice and their clothes are nice and everything's in order. Um, yeah. It seems a, a relatively easy enough fix should they start getting into these other areas, which, you know, it's um it's a lot easier yeah. to work with, I think. Um, now, for, some, for some of them, time. yeah. Now, trust me, we do have, I mean – like the vast majority of our coaching clients are very successful men. Um, Those are just the ones that I feel honestly could like, could solve their problem just by taking care of themselves a little bit better. Yeah. But no, we've, we like our, our program is actually oftentimes 
like 80% like entrepreneurs, like high, high, like high level guys that wow. like are doing things in business, in fitness. Like for me, like by 2019, I had competed as a bodybuilder for almost a decade, placed fourth in the state of Florida, you know, nothing like mm. I obviously wasn't one of the best in the world, but it was a worthy enough, you know, recognition to kind of be like, yeah, I was, you know, I was, I was decent at what I, I was doing. I'd also built a company that had done, you know, a few million dollars uh, in top line revenue over the span of a few short years. I had held, you know, some pretty high level corporate leadership roles and positions. Um, it wasn't like I was this guy that, you know, was the unkept. Uh, yeah. Those are a lot of the ones that I hear from. And like I said, I think for them, it's just take care of yourself a little bit better. Now the guys that actually like need the help and need the coaching and the program, those are the ones that like have more, more at stake. I was speaking specifically to like a lot of the younger men, um, probably the ones that have been caught up in this since they were, you know, teen, teenage boys. But mm. yeah, a lot of our clients are in that 30 to 35 kind of, kind of demographic. And like I said, about 80% of them are, are, are in the entrepreneurship space. And I think that's Interesting. because that's what I attract kind of based around some of the things that I talk about. How long did you, how long were you addicted to porn for, would you say? You know, it's hard to, it's hard to point like, you know, when did it, when did it truly become an addiction? So I think I briefly mentioned it in, in, in the beginning, uh, the first time I saw it was around six years old. You know, I, I, mm. I found a magazine in my dad's sock drawer that probably shouldn't have been looking at. Um, and that kind of started the cascade of like trying to find magazines anytime I possibly could. Uh, now, man, I didn't get access to like the internet, uh, till probably 15, 16. That's when we got our first computer. Mm. Um, but I can probably even remember like in the first hour of being on the computer by myself, trying to find it online. Yeah. The issue really escalated in my early twenties. Uh, I was working in the wireless industry, uh, for a T-Mobile corporation here in the States. And so we had early access. I was, I was probably one of the first thousand people in the world to have a color screen Blackberry, uh, which for the younger crowd is like the original smartphone. So the iPhone before the iPhone was called a Blackberry device. Um, and that, you know, was getting it to the point where now I had pretty much 24 hour access to it. Uh, so my early twenties. And then when I started my first company at 30, uh, is when I started the work from home entrepreneurship. So that would have been 2013, mm-hmm. um, is really when, is really when it got bad. Um, and then I probably would say I hit a rock bottom moment, uh, around 2018 when I kind of lost everything in one of my companies and relationships were falling apart. And, mm. um, I, was running to a bottle to kind of hide a lot of the the, the negative emotions and, and just escape a lot of that. But yeah, yeah, I mean, it was it was a struggle for twenty years. I'd say it's probably a very severe, intense addiction that controlled my life for seven or eight of those years. Wow! And I think you might have mentioned it, but did you develop other addictions as a result of having a porn addiction? Yeah. Um, and this is where I think that there's a genetic component to some of, some of our behavior. Um, so growing up, you know, I, I had a, a pretty much a front seat to a lot of, a lot of men struggling, uh, with, with addictions, alcoholism, suicide. It was kind of a, it was just kind of a part of, uh, our, our, our life. I would say, you know, through, through my twenties, truthfully, man, I think a lot of what probably helped me from 
really falling deeper into some substance addictions yep. was the fact that I was so dedicated to my bodybuilding. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I always had the ability for, you know, four or five month prep to kind of shut things down, mm. um, knowing that the second half of the year, like it could kind of be balls, balls to the wall. Um, I had, I had, I had earlier substance issues that, that cost me some things in my early twenties, yep. cost me some, some job opportunities. Um, but once again, it was, it was, it was something like I could always go in and out of now when I was in the end mode, like, I don't know if you partied, like I was a guy that's like, we're going to party and I'm going to get as blackout drunk as I possibly can as quickly <laughs> as yeah. possible. Um, once I again, I look back you now, you know, kind of through. Never partied that, that hard in life. Like loved obviously health and fitness being a PT myself. Um, yeah. but I find it funny that a lot of PTs and bodybuilders, they are, they're very much about those extremes, aren't they? Because I mean, if you can diet for a show, you know, you, you know how to go from that one extreme to the next. And a lot of bodybuilders, they sort of finish with one addiction and they find bodybuilding as a new addiction. And I think that's mm-hmm. how a lot of them have that drive to actually get to the stage because they get obsessed with the process. Um, and whether it's forming new addictions with just, um, yeah, whether it's the training or the steroids or mm-hmm. all of it combined and what have yeah. you. So, yeah. This is a, yeah, this is a, this is the topic and conversation that really fascinates me, Amanda. Uh, you know, mm. I've had so many former addicts, so many experts on that work in the addiction space. Um, and oftentimes it's these addicts that hit rock bottom and then they turn their life around and they go on to do incredible things that Mm. for the longest time I was trying to connect the dots. I'm like, what is the link and connection between addiction and high performance? Because Mm. you see so many people that live and operate in the high performance space. You mentioned bodybuilders, right? I would say anybody that's walking across the stage, in my opinion, high performer, like you're operating in the, the one, the top 1% of that specific field within the world hats off to you. You're doing something that so few people can't do, but you yeah. see it in the finance world. You know, I have a lot of buddies that are in, in the, in the finance space. There's a lot of issues with substance addiction there. You obviously see it in Hollywood. You see it in sports, people that operate at the highest level in so many care categories also struggle with addiction. So for the longest time, I'm like, there's a link. Like, there's a link between this. There's a personality type. There's a gene. There's something about people that mm. have the ability to be a high performer, if it's not harnessed correctly, will fall into addiction. And I had a DNA specialist on, Kashif Khan, um, one of our number one downloaded podcasts, and it's only like four months old. Yeah. Um, just shows like how incredible that conversation was. So this guy studies like genes and then they had their AI technology that like, I mean, it's looked at millions of data points up until this point. And there is a specific gene within our brain that how we process the reward chemical of dopamine, uh, for certain people, it, it, it processes it and it gives it like a higher bout. Now those same people when that, when they can focus in on something and like creation, right? So we talked about high performance. So like entrepreneurs, yep. business people, artists, that gene is the same one that allows them to tap into like these flow states. So there is a very clear tie between people that are wired or have the, the DNA to become high performers. If it's not harnessed correctly, will fall into some type of compulsive or addictive behavior. Mm, mm, really, really interesting. How did you go with bodybuilding in general? Just side note. 
Um, so I'm six foot three, um, you know, which is not like, not, not the ideal structure for competing. I got, I, so I started in 2008 and this is, this is, I mean, this is pre physique. So at the time, the only, the only category that may compete in at, you know, was, was bodybuilding. Mm. So at a six foot three, you know, full grown man, like my stage weight to be competitive at the highest level would have had to been probably 265 to 275. Like that's, that's stage weight. Um, which means I would have had a, you know, an off season walking around weight, probably somewhere between 330 and 340. And I wasn't willing to put my body through the stress I needed to, to, to do that. Um, I, I competed a couple shows around 225 as a bodybuilder. Mm -hmm. Um, so in 2015, I left the NPC, uh, and I competed in the WBFF uh, yeah. for for a couple of shows because I really like their male muscle model, um, which more kind of physique like fit just kind of my natural frame. Like once again, taller, longer, kind of more of an athletic frame. And I returned back to the NPC in 2016, uh, which was the first year they had the classic physique. And then that was the year I placed uh, my top placing was fourth. Uh, in the state of Florida at the Florida State Show, um, nice. so fourth yeah. out of twelve or thirteen in 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 that show, which, like I said, yeah. not great, um, but you know, good enough, good enough for me. Good enough, just the same, because it's very hard. I used to be judging bodybuilding uh, for the Naturals here in Melbourne uh, okay. quite a few years back, and yeah, like sometimes it can be you'll have a whole panel of judges and. You know, you'll have a few judges that kind of see things a little bit differently, but um, yep. collectively, you know, the head judge really does have the final say. But everyone has this objective and subjective judging, you know, and some people mm-hmm. will look at it and go, what I think looks nice, another judge might think differently. So yeah. either way, getting to stage and actually going through the rigorous yeah. guiding process is tough. So just getting up there is amazing. So, yeah, yeah. I know my weaknesses and yeah. strengths, you know, like um, I have great upper body thickness, my chest and back, uh, very thick and solid. So anything kind of from a side tricep, side bicep pose, like my upper body looks incredible uh when i turn to the back any 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 double bicep pose as well uh i could hit i could hit and really hold and dominate that i do have a wide waist um so it's hard for me to create a really great v taper from like Mm. a front lat spread or even in a even in a uh just kind of a relaxed pose I have really yeah. long legs. Uh, so my uh-huh. femur length is just so incredible. It's always been hard for me to really build a lot of that X-frame shape just because the amount of size I need on my legs right. to really tie that together. So, yeah, it was good. Um, I'm very grateful for what it did for me as a person and kind of yeah. who it shaped me to be. I think a lot of what I've taken away from bodybuilding, which – I see some people do, but I see a lot of people struggle taking some of that and transferring it to business or other areas of, of their life. I've been very fortunate to know bodybuilding was never going to be my career. Mm. Uh, so I was always looking at it. How can this make me better at other things? For sure. For sure. No, that's great. Now, if we're looking at um, recovery programs out there, now obviously in your camp you guys offer recovery programs for men that are obviously suffering with addiction. Why do you feel some of these programs do or don't work? Great question. Um, and I guess to answer it maybe would help to kind of categorize program, like the, the, the different types of, of yep. programs. Um, yep. You know, 
I, I, we kind of touched on, you know, one approach earlier on in the therapy versus coaching kind of conversation. So why would therapy in and of itself probably not work because you're not doing the necessary growth centric work. It'll do incredible to get you an understanding of why you are here today. But I think a lot of what's going to lack there from maybe of a traditional therapeutic approach is like, here are the actual developmental tools that you need to become the man that can transcend this issue moving forward. So a therapeutic Mm. approach would probably fail due to lack of kind of the growth centric approach to it. Support groups where you join like a group of guys, you know, you see a lot of these that show up in kind of the church space um, or even like your traditional like SAA type of group. So Sexual Addicts Anonymous, uh, where it's a group environment that is centered around a lot of guilt and shame. Um, and it's coming from the frame that we are victimless. I'm sorry, we are victims and we are powerless to this addiction within our life. Those fail because you're holding on to a identity of somebody that will always struggle. Like, if you believe that you're always going to struggle with a behavior, yeah. your reality will be the person that always struggles with that behavior. And then yeah. putting yourself in an environment, you know, what's the saying in, in self-development? You're the byproduct of the five people you spend the most time with. Yeah. So if, yeah. you're, if your plan and approach to recovery is to spend more time with people that aren't controlling their behavior, you're going to be the sixth person that doesn't have control over, over the behavior. Mm. Um, most Christian coaches programs. Uh, so these are coming from like the church. Um, they fall into kind of that similar kind of, kind of category. And I, and I struggle to even kind of talk about some of these things because I am a believer and our program is, is faith based and faith centric. I just see the church like in and of itself, like, big church failing tremendously because 50 56% of pastors struggle with porn addiction like 70% of active men in the church mm. admit to having an issue with pornography and only 7% of them actually have a program the problem i see with them is a lot of times the same i see with a therapeutic approach is it's not that it shouldn't be focused on the power that we have within Christ and in the cross and how we are saved and we are forgiven for all these things. But once again, it's not centered around like the developmental tools of who do you need to be linking it back to you're struggling with a compulsive behavior in your life of lack of the ability to control yourself due to lack of the ability to control yourself. Mm. So you must grow in the ability to control yourself, self-regulation, discipline, willpower, small, small parts of it, not the only thing that is needed, but there's a developmental approach, which once again, which is why we take a growth centric approach. So I see a lot of them too focused on the past, the trauma, the healing component, not focused on the developmental approach of who are you becoming? Mm, The pathway. Yeah. The, The 12 step process. Now, what's your take and perspective on the 12-step recovery approach for men struggling with porn addiction? So I'm assuming 12-step recovery process, this is something that you have as part of your coaching. Um, You don't have to go balls deep, so to speak, on this, but you can just lightly touch on what that process might look look like in case there's other guys out there that want to come and work with you and be part of these support groups and what have you. 
Yeah. So, um, I mean, I have, I, so I have a seven step, uh, guide. So I wrote the seven step guide to living life without porn. So our, my approach, I guess, could be broken into seven. I, I guess when you say 12 steps, are you talking about like traditional 12 steps that would be used in like alcohol recovery and other, other forms of addiction? Yeah. So I, I guess generally speaking, there might be a 12 step guide. Obviously, yeah. um, yours is seven steps. So, compared to other processes, you've shortened it and obviously yeah. you've found a more effective way around it? Yes. So the problem I see in the traditional 12-step, and this is not me shitting on 12 steps because they've mm. done more good for addiction than yep. any other organization in the world. I just, once again, looking at it through a, a different lens, a different frame of reference. Step one is accepting that you are addicted and that you are powerless mm. over it. I disagree wholeheartedly with the second part of that step. I don't mm. believe you're powerless over it. So I see it flawed from step one because if every day I must identify myself as somebody that is powerless over the addiction, all that means is I'm going to live my the rest of my life managing it. I mm. want to give people the tools to transcend it to where it's no longer an issue that you have to struggle with. This is a problem I see another, I guess another approach that a lot of guys use will be like accountability software, right? You know, there's a lot of great tools out there. We have a partnership with an organization called Covenant Eyes, but these would be like blockers, right? So this is like an app that you install or some type of software. And it's like, you can't visit these sites that you list into it or so-and-so gets a notification that you're doing some naughty things on your computer. Well, the problem with that is it's you telling yourself that there's something in the internet that you want, but you can't have it. Mm. I don't know if you have children or not, but if you understand anything about human behavior, yeah. Yeah. anytime a person is told they can't have something, immediately their subconscious turns on and figures out, how can I get this thing that I'm not supposed to have? Mm. So if a man's approach to recovery is to install a software and say, I can't have access to these sites, once again, he's not transcending it. He's simply, he's simply living with the behavior in his life and doing everything to keep himself from returning back to it. Somewhere down the road, a long, stressful day, an argument with his wife, something goes wrong in his life. He's stressed, tired, and anxious. He's going to lose conscious control of the vast majority of his behavior, yeah. and he's going to default to go get that thing that he wants but has constantly told himself he can't have because maybe it's a thing that he's telling himself that he can't have that's going to be the solution to why he's feeling the way that he is within the moment so anything that's centered around i i want this but i can't have it in my opinion is a flawed approach mm. it's like tony mm. robbins he's got a great great story he tells he's been telling it for decades uh, where he had two people at one of his events and these two people were both struggling with tobacco. Like they were trying to quit smoking cigarettes and they're pulled up on stage and at the same time, they're both offered a cigarette. And the first person says, no, thank you, Tony. I'm trying to quit. The second person's response is, no, Tony, I'm no longer a smoker. Mm. Which one is going to have longer success? The one that is trying to quit or the one that no longer participates in the behavior? The second one, because they've changed the narrative. They've already changed the narrative around it. Yep. They've changed the narrative. They changed their identity. So mm. our approach to recovery, 
must be rooted in an identity change. Mm-hmm. All successful mm-hmm. transformation, weight loss transformation, rooted in identity change, mm-hmm. financial transformation. You're going to start saving money. You have to become the person that has financial literacy. You want to improve yeah. your relationship. You have to become the person that spends time focusing on the relationship. Anything that involves you becoming is, is an identity change. So the path to overcoming a pornography addiction is to become the man that no longer looks at porn. Uh, so all of our work, linking back, growth-centric, holistic-based, but it's rooted in giving you the tools to be able to transcend this by becoming the man that no longer struggles. Mm, I love that. I love that. All right, Frank. Well, when you're not helping guys overcome their addictions and turn, turning them into superhuman beasts, what do you tend to enjoy in your spare time when you have time? Because I'd imagine you'd be pretty flat out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I love I love I love training still still to this day. Mm. Um, I think you saw it in the in the in the camera a few times. There was a four legged little white fellow that walked yes. across uh, <laughs> yeah. the room a few times. Yeah, um, yeah. I love spending I love spending time with my my little guys. So um, mm. I, I little bit a little bit out. I live a little bit out of the city. Um, yeah. So some great nature walks. Out here, I love getting outside. Beautiful weather here in the Tampa Bay, Florida area. Um, How's the weather yeah, out there? Is the weather pretty oh, good out there? Oh, it's beautiful. So we're yep. we're I mean we're we're in the the dead of spring right now. You know, it's oh, eighty five, nice. clear sky. Um, you know, we're getting there a little bit of the humid season right mm-hmm. now, but you can't beat. I mean, you know, you're in Australia, so we have these beautiful eight months out of the year where it's just like. Epic, sounds, epic. So yeah, I love cool. to be outside. I love spending out time. Love going to the beach. Love shooting guns. Love, love America. Love, love being a guy. Love doing family things. Um, so cool. I was going to say we're on the other spectrum of that. We have eight months of the year that is really cold, and then maybe four of that, which is half decent weather. Being in Melbourne, so we're south of Australia. Oh, so it's okay. Quite, yeah. Once you go north, it's awesome. But yeah, anything south is like, especially Melbourne. But anyway, Frank. Um, some really awesome insights today. I love it. I love your take on it all. And I love how you've integrated the whole fitness element into it and how um, it just really paves a, a really nice kind of um, pathway for a lot of men and just stepping up, being a man, get your stuff sorted, have goals. And a lot of the time that'll just steer people away from the wrong thing and into the right thing to start having ultimately better relationships with themselves, with their lovers. So yeah, it's incredible. Now, if people want to come and work with you, Okay, where are we going to send them today? Yeah, I think the best place to connect uh, with me would be personally on Instagram. Uh, you can find it at Coach Frank Rich. Uh, really, really active there, both with content and then the the engagement. Yep. If people have specific questions. You know, feel free to drop in the DM. Yep, um, I get back to everybody. So I, I am the one in there. I know a lot of, a lot of times coaches will have like members of their team and whatnot. I, I am the person in the, in the DM sending all the messages. Yeah. Um, and if you love, you know, these kind of, you know, back and forth, long, long form conversations, maybe point people to the podcast, the superman life. We have 190 mm-hmm. episodes, uh, you know, with some of the world's, you know, leading experts, not just in addiction, you know, tools to help people level up in their faith, their fitnesses, their, their, fi- their, fi- their fitness, their finances, uh, their family, their relationships. So yeah, yeah. Instagram Fantastic. or the podcast. Fantastic. And you got the YouTube channel too. Are you still pretty active on that? Yeah. So YouTube is also uh, Coach Coach Frank Rich. Um, took a brief hiatus over the last couple of months because uh, we went hard in the paint for like two and a half years and did a video a day. 
for over two and a half years and hit the 10K subscriber mark. Awesome. Slightly paused, uh, have just just returned with shorts uh, this month and will be relaunching that channel in May. So Coach Frank Rich on YouTube as well. Sweet. Okay. Well, yeah, if you guys want more visuals and actually go and see what Frank looks like and um, maybe some short, both short and longer form content on there, go and have a look at the channel or tune into the podcast for that, those drives to work and you can get some more of this on your uh, speakers. So Frank, thank you so much for jumping on today. It's been awesome. Thanks, Amelia.